Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Let's start a series of Christmas messages, which again is interesting because we're, you know, in a time right now, if you look at the world, a world full of chaos. But what's interesting, again, we can go back, we can go back to the Greeks. The Greeks were known as the, the civilized ones. In fact, anybody that did not speak Greek were called babas or barbarians. Why? Because the Greeks were civilized. The Romans came in and they were civilized too. Greeks and Romans had a few things in common. One was if you will, they can have more than one wife. In fact, typically what it was, especially for Greeks, is you had a wife to birth children with, you had a a woman to basically be your sex slave, and then you had the prostitutes at the temple. And yes, I know that's graphic, but it carries on into the Roman society. Sexual perversion, which I won't get into, was rampant. In the Roman Empire, the majority of people were slaves. There was one time where uh, the Senate was trying to decide whether to give all the slaves uniforms so you can identify them. Then they started thinking about that probably wouldn't be good because we are so outnumbered by the slaves they may rebel when they saw their numbers. Civilization, again, is what has been called the key to bring peace into the world. Knowledge was a big promotion here in the United States. Knowledge is the key. Knowledge Give the people knowledge. Give the people the right circumstances and situations and that we would have peace. See, as technology has progressed, again, we are civilized. And that's why there's rumors and rumors of wars. China and Thailand, Russia right now and Ukraine. And then there's so many others right now. Turkey maybe going into Syria. It goes on and on and on. But wait a minute, it's governments, right? They're the ones that brought civilization. That's why we see in China and rust that people are rebelling. Why? Because they are basically in prison in their own homes. They're coming out in protest. But the news won't show much of that because, again, it's isolated cases, they say. But that's civilization, right? And here in the United States where we have liberty and peace, We have so much crime, it's just not even funny. And if you look at any news media, you'll see it if you look for it. Violence. Seven-year-old girl was just abducted. By who? A FedEx is the suspect. She was found dead. That's just within the last 12 hours, 14 hours. It's constant. Civilization, that's the key, right? That's what we need to understand. No, it's not. See, it's human nature. Man can't really grasp the truth. The truth is, is that none of us are good. Left to ourselves, evil not only permeates, but it grows like a cancer. Wipe it all out. Justice, we cry. Justice. But who of us can judge? Who do we? Who knows the end from the beginning? The beginning from the end. 
we come to this season because it is a weird season, if you will, because it makes us stop and think about something. Back in the Old Testament, Isaiah was the prophet, Ahaz was the king. Ahaz was not a good king. In fact, again, the culture at that time was not good. But Ahaz had a problem, and what it was was Syria and the northern kingdom, Israel, was at his border, and they were going to come and rage war with him. So the Lord sent Isaiah the prophet to him, and he said this to him. The Lord asks you to ask a sign for yourself. The Lord your God, ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Now what's interesting about that is because of scholars and scholars that really are not really worthy to mention will say that that word virgin doesn't mean virgin there. It means a, a young wife. And it can mean that. In fact, if you will, it is fulfilled. But it doesn't always just mean that. It also means a young virgin. That's in the married ages. Now, what's interesting about that is just the fact that later on in chapter 8, Isaiah went to his wife and they conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to call his name Mahera Shahral Hazbaz, which means swift booty, speedy as prey. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father, my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away from before them from the king of Assyria. You'll be delivered. And here's the sign. But see, the sign wasn't completely fulfilled here. Because if you remembered, Isaiah said his name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And it wasn't fulfilled. The next chapter, if you will, Isaiah goes on to say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish with the judgment and justice from this time forward and even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. So again, the Old Testament brings us prophecies, and a lot of them are hard to discern where they were fulfilled, because a lot of times there was a partial fulfillment, but not a complete fulfillment of it. But see, that's the Old Testament, the Old Agreement. You see, all these were a foreshadow of things to come, and the things to come is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And as you turn there, let us lift this time up in prayer to Him who is the Righteous One. 
Father, we just thank you for this morning. We just pray that you give us ears to hear and a heart to receive the truth that we will hear this morning and how it can transform and change our lives in the, in the midst of our own chaos. So Lord, we lift this time up to you and just pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. We find ourselves again, if you will, in a small village. In chapter 1, look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take for you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. It takes away all the discrepancy, all the question, because what it means in the complete fulfillment of it is when Jesus Christ came. Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Which means both God and both man. C.S. Lewis commenting on this because of, again, the predicament of man. It says we started off with the sin of man, the destruction of man. It said, unfortunately, we now need God's help in order to do something which God, in his own nature, never does at all. is to surrender. To suffer. To submit. To die. Nothing in God's nature corresponds to this process at all. So that the one road for which we now need God's leadership, most of, most of all, is a road God in His own nature has never walked. God can share only what He has, this thing in His own nature He has not. But supposing, supposing God became a man. Suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person. Then the person could help us. He could surrender his will. He could suffer. He could die. Because he would be a man. And he would do it perfectly because he was God. But we cannot share God's dying unless God dies. He cannot die except by being a man. And that is the sense in which he pays our debt. Suffers for us. Would he himself need not to suffer at all? See, as we come to this time of season, the, really the miracle, the miraculous, the one that really should get and grip all of us is just the simple fact that God didn't have to do this. There's no reason. If you want to speak logically, there's no logical reason for God to do this. What purpose? What was it to, he, it's to gain? In fact, it's, it's 
harrowing to hear just the, the truth of all the matter. Isaiah again says this, Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he will grow up as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that we would see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised, he's rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as we hid it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. John gives us a view, if you will, from heaven. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life of the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, them he gave the right to be called children of God. Paul, again, unmasking a lot of this for us trying to get us to think these things through, to grasp them, not only just to view this God-man, but also to understand something deeper. He said it like this, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of the bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name. And in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't miss what he said. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Why was he saying that? It's because by him living the sinless, perfect life as a human being, he was victorious. What we couldn't do, he did. But he had to. We had no champion. We, we had no way of access to him. Not in our own righteousness, because as again, as the scripture said, it's but filthy rags. No hope for mankind. No hope on the horizon. Ancient man thought it was in the Greek philosophers. Then it was in the Roman government. And even to our own fault, many believed it was in the church. Never so. Never can be. The hope of all mankind lies, if you will, First in a manger, then in a carpenter shop, 
been walking through the valleys and the hills of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Then ultimately finding himself on the tree. Pieces of wood crossed. Taking your punishment. And taking mine. Amazing. Amazing this incarnation. But see... So many of us, we leave it there. Remember what Paul said, let this mind be in you. Why? Because there is victory here. It's victory that I want to share with you. So again, that we'd get it back in our hearts and minds. What this really means, the incarnation. I'm going to bring up five points. In doing so, again, I'm going to read from Peter. Peter says, For this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself. Think about that. Did not threaten. Who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed the first thing I want you to take a note of is this since he did live this sinless life he presented his body as a sacrifice for us he took his sin uh, took our sin upon him and died for us to as many as received him the righteousness the righteous one being able to absorb, to take our sin upon himself, allowing that which should be exterminated, the true genocide, if you will, of all humanity, because there is no good in it. But he taking the sin of all mankind upon himself, upon a tree, upon a pole, upon for everybody to look upon and to be healed. And yet many won't. Just for the simple fact of stubbornness, selfishness, and sin. The very reason that he came. This God who showed himself selfless. Who showed himself meekly. Who showed himself to be loved. Took upon himself our sin. Your sin. My sin. Paul tells us then, he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The second point I want to briefly go over quickly is that we become righteous of God in Him. I'm righteous this morning and so are you. I don't care how you feel. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, this God-man has declared because of Him taking your penalty that you are righteous. See, He did a trade with us. Remember as kids that you would do trades and somebody would always get the best of you or you would get the best of somebody else? No. We didn't get, I mean, God didn't get the best of this. We did. See, we gave our sin to him and he gave us his righteousness. That's why we have a shield, uh, basically a breastplate of righteousness. Do you know that? That's why it's there. It covers the most important parts of your heart, your lungs. The breath that he has given you. The heart that you now have. Is a new heart. That you are righteous. Just because of his incarnation. Just because he went to that cross and died for you. 
A third thing I want you to take note of, again, is that Paul is saying that now we live in this, or Peter, that we now live in this righteousness. The third point is this, that we now can claim all of his perfection in holy living. We can invite him to live his victory in us today. Today, Lord, live through me in your righteousness today. We're always looking for tomorrow because, again, we understand something. And and sometimes we look at this too deeply, and that is, we're not perfect here. So why strive for righteousness? No, we, we see it all wrong. It's not about us striving for righteousness. It's us striving in His righteousness. For He's declared it. You're righteous. And it's able to comprehend, apprehend, and walk in His righteousness. On a daily, daily basis. The fourth thing I would like you to consider is that in His incarnation, He defeated all the temptations and the attacks of Satan and His kingdom that we too can claim this victory in our lives. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children. Think of it this way. You are of God, little children, have overcome them, because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. John goes on to say, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that He has has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now why can't we apprehend that? Why can't we appropriate that? Why can we not live that out? Is again, we looked at our own selves, our own failures, our own weaknesses, our own struggles, instead of looking to him who's given us the victory. Is it easy? No, because again, it goes back to what, what C.S. Lewis said. It's because, again, it's something that we all have to do on a constant basis. What is it? It's a simple truth. It's by nature. It's not easy. But it's to surrender. It's to suffer. It's to submit. And it's to die. What way? Your old nature. See, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul goes on to say. And it's to say, it's on that cross. I'm free from that old man. But see, I have to daily again acknowledge that I'm dead. See, we're living in a high, if you will, energized society of sin. And it's hitting everyone, especially believers today. And remember the Bible said towards the end time, the enemy is going to basically raise the stakes. And he's going after Christians especially. Why? He wants to silence you from shedding and sharing Christ's light. He wants to keep you discouraged. He wants to keep you down on the mat. You're a loser. And to continue to feel like a loser. But the reality is, Jesus said, no, I won. Now walk in my victory. Stop cowering. Stop being afraid. Stop submitting to your own fleshly desires. Realize that's what got you in trouble in the first place. It's on the cross. You died. You're now alive in Christ Jesus. 
Walk with me. My spirit empowers you. Yield to it. Submit to it. Daily. Now, I know it's not easy. Trust me. It's not easy for any of us. I'd like to say, I'd like to stand up here and say that, man, I got it all down. No, it's a walk. It's a journey. God, into each of us, wants to walk with us in that journey. Wherever you find yourself today, whatever you find your struggle is, today He wants to walk with you through this, and victory is yours. Staying close to the shepherd. Staying close, but also understanding what the last thing is this. Because He was tempted in all points, and yet without sin, He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He has compassion on us. He understands. Now, aren't you glad? I mean, I, I remember talking to somebody many years ago, and, and the person said to me, I know God's disappointed in me. What do you think about that statement? God being disappointed would have to mean that God had a higher calling for you as an individual. Without him knowing it? No. See, the disappointment of God is really not accurate because God already knows your weaknesses. He knows where you're going to fail. And he sympathizes with you. Why? Because it's like we crawl on the hands and knees in this world and God says, stand up, child, and walk. I've given you the victory. Stop cowering. It's not in your pride. It's not in your strength. It's in mine. It's my strength. It's my victory. Now get up and walk. Remember what Jesus said? Do you want to be healed in the man by the pool? Do you want to be healed? Then get up and walk. Get up. And that's what we have to do on a day-to-day basis. Get up and walk. And when we struggle, when we fail, we fall, hold on. It's what it says in Hebrews, seeing that we have a high priest, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. We fall down. He wants us to get back up and come boldly to Him. Confess the sin. And ask for His strength. Again, walk. If God, again, think this through with me. If God found something to die for, you and I, then don't you think that God will find continual desire to walk with you. A wise man falls seven times and seven times again. He rises. Lord's eyes are on those who bow down and raises up those who fall. The Incarnation is a wonderful story. The Incarnation is a hope story. Because see, 
you and me, such failures, such sinners, such losers, that God took upon himself our flesh and walked among us. To show us what? How to live. But not only how to live, how to die. Paving the way for us. It's His victory that we walk in. Not mine. Not yours. It's His. And that's the beauty of, of the incarnation. There's a, a poem and I'll conclude with this. Our blessed Lord combined in one two natures, both complete, a perfect manhood was sublime, sublime, and Godhead all replete. As man he entered Cana's feast, a humble guest to dine. As God he moved the water there and changed it into wine. As man he climbed the mountain's height, the supplement to be. As God he left the place of prayer and walked upon the sea. As a man he wept in heartfelt grief beside a loved one's grave. As God he burst the bands of death almighty still to save. As man he lay within a boat overpowered by needful sleep. As God he rose, rebuked the wind and stilled the angry deep. Such was our Lord in life on earth in dual nature of one. The woman's seed and very truth in God's eternal son. O child, O son, O word made flesh, may the high praise increase, called wonderful, mighty God, eternal of peace. We worship a wonderful, wonderful God. And as we come to this time of year, let it be a reminder to all of us that because He came, die for us on this earth. He's given us the privilege and the right to live with Him at His home. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for these truths and just pray that each one of us, Lord, would take them to heart. The victory that is ours. That we're walking home. <laughs> we're going home and You're leading us there. Leading us there because You can sympathize with us. That You understand our weaknesses. And Lord, you have provided us with a strength that is so powerful that we'll never understand it. Power so, so mighty that it created the heavens and the earth. Power so wonderful that moves mountains. It heals the sick. Gives sight to the blind. Saves that which is lost. It's really the power that we have is nothing that's a, a force, but it's a person. And it's expressed and revealed by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I just pray for each of us that we'd appropriate these truths in our own lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy, precious, beautiful name. Amen.